Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Here, we'll be exploring the people side of successful businesses, careers, and lives. We all have a story to share, and there's something to be learned in every story. Join us to learn from authors, business leaders, thought leaders, and people just like you to uncover the latest ideas, resources, and tools to help you become more effective at work and life. As it turns out, the secret to success is cultivating winning relationships. Business is personal and relationships matter. Welcome to this week's episode of People First, and I am so excited to introduce to you my friends at work and my colleagues at work, mm. Scott Osman and Jacqueline Lane. They are two thirds of the authorship of the book that we are going to be exploring, Becoming Coachable. But before that, a couple of highlights and nuggets about Scott and Jacqueline. So Scott is the founder and CEO of the 100 Coaches Agency, of which I am honored to be part, and co-designer of the propriety process that helps to match executive coaches like myself with leaders around the world who are looking to elevate their leadership reputation and impact. Scott is also part of the secret source behind the company's mm. relationship first philosophy. So you'll know why I am particularly looking forward to mm. this conversation. Jacqueline is the president of 100 Coaches and co-designer of that matching process that I mentioned. She has an interesting background, originally an engineer and now a critical linchpin and part of the 100 Coaches community and agency and has a lifelong commitment to improving the lives of all people by elevating the quality of leadership. Scott and Jacqueline, welcome to People First. Great to be here with you, Morag. Thank you so much for having us today. So I'm looking forward to our conversation, but as ever, I start each episode with a little bit of your origin story. So you can arm wrestle behind the camera there as to who goes first. <laughs> But when you were at elementary school, primary school, middle school, whatever you want to call it, but you were a youngster and an adult in your life said, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. What was your answer, your childhood dream? Um, I'll go first. So um, so I, I, I actually um, didn't have anything in particular that I wanted to be. Um, I... Um, I had this realization at a fairly young age, maybe eight years old, uh, that I was going to have a life of extraordinary experiences and that I wouldn't actually find out what it all added up to until I was 64. And, um, and that's what happened. There was a moment I was talking about being a doctor, but, but really the only reason I was seeing a doctor was because I wanted to be in a position to help change people's lives. Uh, and that became the through line of all the things that I did. Um, and, but I would say that the um, literally the the pivotal moment of change for all of it did in fact come when I was sixty four. I did an onlyness session with Nilla for Merchant, um, and had a conversation with Jacqueline. And in in a moment, um, I realized that my whole life had been leading up to to this event of um, seeing, capturing, and revealing um, the fullness of people to help create human flourishing. And, um, and because of that, we developed the relationship first philosophy um, and the, um, the agency really started to take off. 
You know what it means, though, Scott? Your life comes with a soundtrack, because right now I've got the earworm of when I'm 64 and the Beatles playing. So yeah, to yeah. know at the age of eight that it's going <laughs> to happen when I'm 64 and then to have the song there go, amazing. So we'll come back yeah. to that moment and how Jacqueline was that catalyst, maybe. So Jacqueline, what about for you? What was your childhood dream? Yeah. So my parents are both in the medical field. My dad's a general surgeon. My mom's a nurse practitioner. So uh, when I wasn't at school or activities, I was always at the hospital or my parents' office. Uh, so it was, it, I loved like roaming the halls of the hospital, uh, going on rounds with my parents and, you know, it, just the impact that they're able to have on someone's life. And I, I asked my parents at a very young age, like, why do you do what you do? And the answer was always that it was a calling. It was how can we be with people on some of the hardest days of their lives and support them and help them through? Uh, and I thought that was just such a beautiful moment and really became the through line for my entire family and our upbringing. My mom always used to tell us that we were blessed to be a blessing to others. Uh, and so our home kind of became this revolving door of a lot of different um, people, friends of mine, uh, exchange students and others who lived in our home. So we had this, this uh, large uh, family that uh, people who really weren't family, but became like family. Um, and so I knew I wanted to have that same kind of sense of calling in my life. Of course, since my medicine had been modeled to me, I also thought that medicine was going to be my path. So I did exactly what my dad did. I went to engineering school with a plan to then go to medical school. Uh, and then I remember I was in a biochemistry class <laughs> and I said, I thought to myself, I don't really like biochemistry. Um, yeah. <laughs> maybe I don't want to be a doctor. Wow. And it was kind of this like, uh, you know, moment where everything changed and wouldn't, you know, I dropped pre-med and I added an entrepreneurship minor mm. and, uh, you know, I started wow. a business while I was in college, uh, that ended up taking off very quickly. And it was one of those things that I was like, I guess, I think I want to be an entrepreneur. I think I want to change the world through business. I think that's actually a really powerful mechanism. Um, and of course, that ultimately then evolved into the world of executive coaching. Uh, my husband had hired a coach and it had really transformed his life in the way that he showed up uh, professionally and even in our marriage. And he decided to become a coach himself. And I remember uh, putting my ear to the door and listening as he was either being coached or coaching others. And uh, just the profound impact that I was hearing that that had on other people. It was in that moment that I really realized that uh, that everything is about people and leaders have such an outsized impact on other people. Uh, and so the ability to work with and to influence leadership is really such a, a pleasure and a privilege. I'm thrilled to get to do this work and mm. thrilled to do Fair it together. Yeah. Uh, I love that. And the synergies between the work and the research that you do, that we do together, just reemphasize the work that Eric, Ruby and I have done through You, mm. Me, We and why we all need a friend at work. And there was actually a, a phrase that I read as I was doing my research for our conversation, in addition to obviously the, the life we have and the work we've done together, that really stood out from, for me, which was, you say that leadership and life are about connection. Mm. So say more about that and the importance of relationships in life and leadership. Mm. Yeah, we've been reading a really great book recently. Mm. Uh, uh, it's called Powers of Two, and it talks all about that, the impact that really uh, great partnerships have on the world, that we have this, this kind of a theory of, you know, the great man theory, right, that history is written by a few great men, um, and that these, you know, you know, visionary lone individuals are really the people who are making all the impact. Uh, but 
that's actually not what the research shows. Oftentimes, I mean, almost always, it is happening because of a great creative pair at its core. Uh, even if you look at some of the great movements of history, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. had a great partner. And, uh, you know, we look at Beatles, you know, back to when I'm 64, right? We look at the Beatles. You don't have uh, the Beatles without Paul McCartney and John Lennon working together as a creative pair. Uh, it just so happens that oftentimes there's one individual who's a little bit better known than the other. Uh, so everything happens in the power of relationship. And the same yeah. is true even in the world of coaching, right? Uh, it's all about the power of a relationship between a coach and a coachee to create really radical change. And, you know, I find that in learning to do one relationship well, maybe it starts with that coach-coachee relationship. They, the leader then can learn how to do that when, in other relationships at their company, find another creative partner. I think there. also the world of leadership has changed a lot. Uh, you know, decades ago, the leader might have been command and control, or at least the illusion of command and control. Mm -hmm. um, and today, uh, and we're hearing this quite a bit, um, leaders are dependent on their followers to be collaborators, right? It's not just telling people what to do, uh, but it's being in relationship with certainly the leader and the leadership team have to be in relationship. But um, man, we had, a, um, we had a CEO the other day who was saying to us, I need to be, he didn't use words in relationship, but he meant right in relationship with my Gen Z employees because their needs and their expression of what they want to do in this company are going to be driving some decisions that we're going to be making. And so I need to understand who they are, what they need. Um, and he, he can't just tell them what to do anymore. Um, and I just think that's the new world of leadership. Whichever level you are in the organization, leaders are really dependent, codependent, and in collaboration with followers. And they talk about the fact that leadership is a contact sport in an mm -hmm. HR appropriate way, but best done with and in service of others. And that comes back to even the coaching engagement, not doing it in secret, because the more people who know that you are invested in growing your leadership skills and what it is you're trying to do, the more people you have who can act as a sounding board to provide feedback, to drive accountability, some of the themes that come out clearly in your book. Mm -hmm. So for people who are listening, I said as part of the introduction, at 100 Coaches Agency, you have a rather unique way of matching an individual leader with a coach. So for those who are listening and thinking, okay, my time, 2024 is going to be the year that I invest in me, I'm going to get a coach. How would you advise them to, to make that match, to find the mm -hmm. right partner? Yeah, that's a great question. And we do address it a little bit in the book. Um, but um, so we at 100 Coaches have developed our own curation process, which I think people at any level can really match. Um, like a lot of things, uh, don't just take the recommendation of a friend who you know is going to recommend a coach that was great for them might not be great for you. Um, it's really important to identify three coaches, ideally coaches that are different from each other, so that you have a range of perspectives on what coaching can do for you. Um, and then actually have a chemistry call with each of those three coaches and learn something in each of those calls. Um, at the end of those calls, you'll have a better understanding of what you're looking for in a coach and a better sense of who that coach could be. Um, in, our, in our process, uh, we do a first intake call with the person who's looking for a coach. And all we're doing on that call is trying to understand who this person is and what they need in a coach. Uh, and then we make the recommendation of three coaches, we call it a curation. 
uh, because we do try to find three coaches, each of whom would be exceptional uh, in their ability to deliver for the person, but for completely different reasons. Um, and so mm -hmm. getting that getting that set of three different types of coaches, each of whom would be great, uh, creates a lot of magic. The other thing I'll add to that is that this goes back to your first question, Morag, is that it's really all about relationship first for us, that we're not trying to transact. That's not the number one goal here. The number one goal is really to be in relationship with that person, to hear them, to understand what it is that they're mm -hmm. looking for, to really see that and reflect that back to them so that they can make the best informed decision for themselves, even if that's not through us. If that's somewhere else or they find a resource elsewhere, that's amazing. We just want people to feel really well served, held, and supported. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun yeah. to do. It feels it it it's something that we just so enjoy. Yeah, that held and supported is something that um, we're passionate about at Sky Team because, especially as we move through the leadership levels as our career progresses, that ability to be seen, to be mm -hmm. heard, to have a safe space to talk about what is working and what's not the inner dialogue that might be holding us back becomes scarcer. And so when you find those people who are truly vested in, how do we help you to be even more successful? It can be a powerful combination. Mm. Which brings me to this amazing <laughs> book. I wish I wow. had had this as a resource years ago. Um, and I have gone through this several times and, yeah, held up the mirror essentially, of mm -hmm. I am still becoming coachable. I may be a great executive coach, but anybody and my coaches who work with me know that Morag is still becoming coachable. So talk to me about the inspiration behind and the rationale to why becoming coachable. Well, you know, it's a crucial insight from our friend Marshall Goldsmith uh, that the most important factor in any coaching relationship, it's how the coachee shows up right? If someone is committed to being coachable, uh, they're going to get so much more out of the process uh, than anyone who's not, right? But that's kind of the, the prerequisite for change. And when we started to, to think about that and understand that, I think we, we Googled it um, yeah. and, and we're surprised to find that really that book hadn't been written. Uh, and that was the common factor between all of the most successful coaching engagements that we've seen at the agency in the last few years and so uh, we said, wow, uh, we feel like we need to write that book. And we're excited to share those insights mm -hmm. together. Right. And of course, we had, you know, collaboration from, from folks like you and the other 100 coaches to give us some really deep insights in their experiences with coachees who, you know, some of whom were more coachable, some less, uh, to really understand what, it, what are the key attributes that it takes to become coachable. And, and yes, it's always an ongoing process. Um, but if you can't do these four key things, then um, quite frankly, uh, save your time and money uh, and don't, <laughs> and don't, don't do approach. It. Yeah. Yes, please. So what are those four elements that your research and insights discovered? Well, the first, um, the first one was quite simply just being open to change. Um, you know, we call these sort of the, um, our framework, the openness framework. Um, and just you don't you don't have to you don't have to make that change yet, but just being open to change is a prerequisite to coaching, because if you're not really open to making a change, coaching is not going to help you. Yeah, the second piece kind of follows naturally from that is being open to feedback. Uh, it's normal in the beginning of many coaching engagements uh, for an executive coach to do what's called a 360 assessment, right? 
where they're talking to a lot of different people in the company, uh, those who work with, around, and for an executive, and collecting feedback uh, in an anonymized report and presenting that back to the executive, uh, especially if there are power dynamics at play. Well, uh, especially because there are power dynamics at play, mm -hmm. it's actually very difficult for leaders to get feedback. And the higher and higher you go in an organization, the, the less and less that people will tell you directly, You've, but they may be saying it behind your back. And so it's such a powerful thing when someone hears that feedback, they, it, they feel like there are no secrets. Mm. And once you know what's, what's happening, once you know how you're being perceived, you can start to take some action on that. And that uh, is really powerful. So that second step, again, is being open to hearing that All feedback. Right. Um, the third step, um, so it's great. You know, Now you're open to change, so you say, I'm going to make change. And uh, I'm willing to hear what people say about me. Um, but you also have to be willing to take action. Just being open to the change and hearing what you need to do to change uh, isn't enough. You have to be committed to, or at least open to, um, taking the action to make those changes a reality. A uh, big part of the coaching process is seeing those changes take place uh, in real time uh, and observing how those changes impact both the leader and the followers within the organization. Yeah. And then that last final step, and this is a crucial one, uh, might actually be the hardest, and mm -hmm. uh, is being open to being held accountable. Accountability mm -hmm. is a tough one um, because it's it's all about making the change last, making it stick. Uh, so many of us, uh, when we're no longer being held accountable, we don't continue to make progress. We revert back to bad habits. Uh, of course, coaches are great at holding people accountable, um, but it's about much more than that. It's having systems and processes in place. Uh, it's like feedback. You have to be open to hearing that feedback over and over and over again. That's kind of what accountability is like. Um, and so uh, that's the final step. As yeah. long as you're open to it, you don't have to be, again, you don't have to be perfect to any of these things. And, and yeah, and I have to say some of this is a little insidious. Like, you know, I did not self-identify as <laughs> not being open to change. <laughs> um, and I'm Scott and I am. And they, now it's change, yeah. And, and then and then I uh, I got a coach, and uh, in the first conversation, uh, he pointed out that um, you know feeling like you have all the answers and you have nothing to work on is actually a self limiting belief. Uh, that uh, it's kind of an invisible, it's an invisible trait. Uh, hmm. Thinking that you know, like I in my conversation, like first conversations, I everything's good. Like I don't think there's anything. You know that I can think of that I really need to work on, and and he, you know, that that is an open to change problem. Um, and and what my coach did with me is he said, okay, well that's fine, but I think we can all agree that expansion and growth would be good, so let's work on that. And uh, I felt very comfortable being open to the change that leads to growth and expansion, and that opened up being open to change to lots of things that I hadn't seen. So it's interesting you used the word there that you were comfortable with the idea of expansion and growth because part of learning is getting uncomfortable. So how do you balance the two? Comfortable with but uncomfortable during maybe is what's just popped into my mind. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I might use a, a, a different example to illustrate this. For example, uh, you know, feedback can feel pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, and I'll raise my hand and say that yeah, when someone says, hey, can I give you feedback? You kind of, I like in yeah. my body go, okay, I'm buckling up. I'm, I'm preparing to hear the worst, right? And, uh, but then it, be, it was this idea that I am actually more comfortable with feedback than I am not knowing it, right? Like 
not hearing the feedback is much worse. So it's how can I be more uncomfortable not knowing than I am hearing? Right? Say that again. So help, mm -hmm. tell me more about that. The, yeah. How can I be more uncomfortable not knowing? Essentially, it's, it's to say, I believe so strongly that I need to hear this, that I'm willing to put aside my discomfort. And instead, I'm going to decide I am more uncomfortable with not knowing the truth. Mm. Similarly for me, I became, by, by recognizing that feeling like everything was good was actually a self-limiting belief, I went from feeling like everything is good was my place of comfort to recognizing that everything is good makes me uncomfortable. Because if everything mm -hmm. is good, that means that I'm not pushing boundaries and that I'm creating limitations that aren't necessary. It's interesting because in you, me, we, we talk about courage and vulnerability as one mm -hmm. of the practices of being an ally, being a friend to ourselves mm -hmm. or a friend to others. And courage and vulnerability go hand in hand when it comes to an individual leader and coaching. So what can a leader do to prepare mentally, physically, emotionally mm -hmm. for, for speaking their truth and hearing the truth with their coach? Uh, ooh, it's a big one. I think you're, you're absolutely right that that sense of uh, courage and vulnerability, and I'll add humility, recognizing that we can do better. Uh, those, are, those are great heart postures to have. We can commit to that. I think that's incredibly powerful. The other thing that Marshall always teaches us, of course, is no matter what <laughs> someone says, uh, the correct answer is always thank you. Because it takes courage and vulnerability for someone to share anything. And if instead of uh, criticizing or judging or getting defensive, uh, if we can just commit to hearing mm. uh, and recognizing uh, the other person, that's a really powerful step to continue to keep that channel open. Uh, and hopefully, uh, they'll also return the favor. Yeah, you know, that's also what you're describing is something that we advise uh, candidates who are looking for a coach. Um, you know, we, we pick these three coaches, they're all amazing coaches, they come from different worlds or different approaches. But at the end of the day, uh, what we're saying is during your chemistry call, do you feel like this is a person that you can be open and vulnerable with? Because that is the essence of coaching, right? Mm -hmm. Feeling like this is a person who's going to be in your corner, they're not going to judge you, they're going to listen and help you become the best you can be. Um, so yeah, but, but you're right. That is almost a prerequisite for a successful coaching engagement. Well, uh, the successful coaching in engagement brings us to kind of the what I'll describe as the bonus section of the book, the mm. to what end. Because it can be easy to say, yeah, I'll take a coach. You know, a company's offering to do it. You know, check the box. But to what end? So tell us more about the to what end. Hmm. Um, to what end is our favorite part of the book? <laughs> so we had, um, uh, we started writing this book a year ago. I mean, it's, it's amazing. So we started writing a year ago, it was on shelves like nine months later. And uh, so it was very, we did, we worked very quickly. Uh, and after writing for a couple months, we thought the book was complete. And we sat back and we're like, this is good. And then we like looked at it again, we said, this is incomplete. Um, and the, and, and the question we asked ourselves was to what end, right? Like mm -hmm. you. You know how to pick a coach, you know how to become coachable, but 
to what end? Like, what, what is it? And, and we knew in our hearts that uh, we know what we do, why we do what we do, uh, which is because we believe that, um, that coaching influences leaders uh, and leaders can work and create a, a better environment for everybody. Um, and we articulated that environment um, in the word flourishing. Mm -hmm. uh, and our ambition for coaching and for leaders is to sort of move up the scale from striving, which is you know trying to create more stuff for you, uh, the people pleasing, trying to create more stuff for others, uh, to rising, creating more stuff, still worrying about like are you getting enough, uh, to the world of flourishing. And the world of flourishing are leaders who recognize that by creating more, they will create more for themselves, but that's not the end. In that's not the end that they're looking for. They actually realize that they're in a position and a really uh, it's an honored position of creating expansion for the people, everybody that they mm -hmm. serve uh, and that they work with uh, and hopefully the world, right? So a flourishing leader, it's better for them, it's better for the people around them, uh, better for the planet. And, and it was really a, a synthesis of ideas that we heard from great leaders like Alan Mullally, Hubert Jolie, mm -hmm. uh, in conversations, of course, that we had with Marshall. Um, and we think every leader can be a flourishing leader. It's all about changing the way that we see ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, not, it's not where I draw the boundary around me and say, this is my world, but to say how interconnected we all are uh, and how much of this is really a collaboration, a teamwork. Uh, and it's, it's a purpose, a, mis a mission, a vision that's so much bigger than any single one of us can be. And when we take that perspective and see ourselves in that way, I think that leads to a powerful reframe. And I think oftentimes a coaching relationship is the place where we see a leader really understand that for the first time. Mm. And it's part of the way that they engage with this coaching process and they become coachable because simply by saying, I want to hear the feedback of people around me. I want to see the impact that I'm having and hear about what's going on in the system. Uh, that opens people up. Uh, to suddenly recognizing the larger part yeah. we can all play and seeing that it's not about one plus one is two. It's really one plus one is infinity. I love that. We're all better together. So what became clear for you through this writing journey and through the birth of your book? Um, well, I think we already had some insights into the power of coaching. Mm -hmm. uh, but well, as, as you know, as someone who's written a number of books, um, the process of writing book is really a, uh, a clarifying, precipitating process. Mm. So a lot of the ideas in the book were kind of swirling around in our ether. Uh, but when we wrote the book, um, the simplicity of what it takes to become coachable, right? The openness framework uh, and the, um, the importance of what it means to become a flourishing leader, uh, I think are the two huge takeaways from the book. Yeah. I think, as you described earlier, Morag, the writing process is like holding up a mirror and looking at mm -hmm. yourself uh, and to explore the depths of, of ourselves and the ways that mm. we needed to become more coachable and the way that we are still very much on that journey. Uh, we are all in that process of becoming, becoming more coachable, becoming more flourishing. Uh, and I think that that perspective gives us this higher vision and goal uh, that we really hadn't seen before we began the process. So Jacqueline and Scott, as we come to the end of our time, I know that becoming coachable, the action verb, 
that is the, the title of the book. Thank you for sharing just a few of the many insights here. How can those who are listening or watching this video learn more about you, the work, and the work we do together at 100 Coaches Agency? Sure. Well, I mean, to find out more about the book, we um, you can go to our website, becomingcoachable.com. Nice and easy to remember. Um, and that'll give you all sorts of you know insights into the book and where to get it, things like that. Uh, if you want to find more about 100 Coaches and the 100 Coaches Agency, uh, then 100coaches.com, 100 Coaches. Uh, takes you to both the uh, the website that leads you to either the agency or the community and agency.100coaches.com takes you directly to the agency and see more about the work that we do with glorious people like yourself. And of course, we're both on LinkedIn, so oh, yeah, uh, feel free to add us. Uh, Scott also has an amazing LinkedIn newsletter. It publishes every Tuesday. Every so, Tuesday, right. Uh, if you want to follow along, follow along there. I encourage everybody to subscribe to that newsletter. It is one of many I receive and one of few that I always open and read. And it is it is profound in the wow. impact it has. So, Scott, you are not communicating into the vacuum that might be the interwebs. There <laughs> are many who are benefiting from the words that you share and many that are benefiting from the partnership and the joy that you both bring to the agency and the work um, that we are able to do with leaders. So thank you both for your time today, and I wish you ongoing success and happiness. Thank, thank you, you Morag. Same to you. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.